0: If you would like to open your Bibles to Matthew 21, we'll be looking again at three, sec- three, three passages in rapid succession. Um, I'll start with a horror story, and then I'll come back to something else. This is, this is a horror story. Those of you my age or more, there's no horror in what I'm about to tell, but for you young people... Prepare yourselves. Once upon a time, there was no such thing as caller ID. And when the phone rang, the only way to know who it was was to pick it up. There were not even any answering machines. You had no alternative. You had to pick it up. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Say, wow, you old people are tough. (laughs) You had to pick up the phone, there were no options. Today, of course, life is so much better because you can ignore any, anybody you want. You can look and see, oh, yeah, I'll talk to them later. I'll, they'll leave a message or whatever. It's easy, and sometimes we don't want to pick up when we should. And I'm going to come back and tell why I'm telling this, but first I want to tell why I'm on this passage I am because today is Palm Sunday, and, and once upon a time I always did a message about Jesus' triumphal procession, but then what we missed was the crucifixion in between because next week is the resurrection. And so then I preached every week on the crucifixion. And this week I thought, or this year I just thought, you know, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to find something that happened during this week and talk about that. And my plan was to sit down and just read in each of the four Gospels the events between Palm Sunday and the arrest. And I didn't get very far. Because I got stopped right here at the end of Matthew 21 and the starting of 23 because Jesus tells three parables in rapid succession about one who was expected to respond and one who did respond. And he did three. And each of the three is different, but each of the three is on, it it divides us into two kinds of people. And, and, and like last week when I talked about Zacchaeus and blind Bartimaeus and how what made it, part of what made the story so significant was where it was found, that it was found as he was on his way to Jerusalem. Part of what makes these parables so significant is that Jesus is in Jerusalem about to be betrayed. And like I said last week, he knows it. And it was on his heart to, to pound home this message about the two kinds of people. Because Jesus is speaking to these people, and he needs them to know they're one or the other, and they need to be the one, not the other. We're going to look at these three consecutive parables, he told, about people who should have answered the call, and he didn't. So there's this, the first parable is of a son who said, yeah, I'll do it, dad, and then didn't, and the other son who said, no, but did. Uh, Then there's the next parable about the, the landlord who owed, was owed rent, and the people who should have given him rent didn't give him the rent, and he ended up giving the, Vineyard to other people to take care of, and then there's the third one. Uh, actually, that was that was the third one. The second one was uh, let's see, the old rent and the people. Who, oh, the people who were invited to the to the wedding feast, and then decided not to come, and the other people who were brought in, and and on the surface, and and it's true. I'm not when I say on the surface, I'm not saying this is not a true understanding of it. On the surface, and a true teaching of it is that Jesus is teaching them uh, that He is about to go. F- the, the the gospel, the focus of the of the church, or the focus of the gospel, salvation is going to go away from the Jews for a time and go to the Gentiles. It's going to, they, the Jews were the obvious first choice for for this because they've got all the blessings and all the advantage and all the teaching, uh, but they are not re- recognizing Christ, Christ and not receiving Him. Instead, He's going to go to another people who are unlikely and yet will come to Him. That, that, is, that is the surface top of that, but there's, there's more to it than that, because this has application, I believe, very specifically to us today. We, we should never read a scripture and say, oh, that was to those people then, isn't that interesting, and move on. We always need to stop and look at what it says to us today. So first, verses chapter 21, verses 28 through 32. Jesus is, is, Jesus is speaking, if you have the red letter Bible, this is in red, but what do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in the vineyard. But he replied, I do not want to. Yet afterward he regretted it and went. And the man came to his second son and said the same thing and he replied, I will, sir. Yet he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first, and Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you, for John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did not, or did believe him, and you, seeing this, did not even have second thoughts afterward, so as to believe in him. So one says, No, but then he does it. And the other says, Uh, yes, but then doesn't. Okay. The one that says, No, I feel this guy. Right? I think I'm not the only one. I feel this guy. Seems I spend half my life doing things that my first response was no. Right? Anybody else is like, no, I don't want to. And then you just go, ah, better do it. You know, it's, it's like, it's, that's me. You decide there's something, you just decide it's something you really ought to do. Even though you don't want to, it's something you really ought to do. And sometimes it is as simple, are you ready for this? as obeying the alarm clock. Amen? <laughs> I mean, sometimes, sometimes that alarm clock is just, yeah, it's a cruel taskmaster, right? And sometimes it's obeying God. Right, it, we got the whole gamut there. The thing that you say, I don't want to, and at first, you, that's why God made the snooze alarm <laughs> or the snooze button. You say I don't want to, but eventually you say, Okay, I, I will go, I will do the thing. Uh, and I relate to this son. You know, I don't know. I, I'd like to say I have been this son, but I am this son, right? Still, the other one says yes, but then he doesn't. I feel this guy too. <laughs> It's like, how can I be both sides of this example? I don't know, but it's true. I say yes at first because I know it's what, it's what I should do, but I really don't want to. And then I start trying to find ways to not do it. I procrastinate. Maybe if I put it off long enough, it'll get done by someone else. Maybe I'll just say, oh, is that was that yesterday? Oh, no. You know. And uh, now you guys are all saying, yeah, I remember when he said that to me. <laughs> right? And sometimes, I, even though I said yes, I never get around to it at all. By the way, what we've got here is a pattern set for the three parables. This is There is a constant failure of those who look promising, but then fail to live up to the promise, while those who look unlikely ultimately uh, receive the blessing. And Jesus is specifically addressing the chief priests and, and, and uh, elders. Uh, We go back to chapter 21, verse 23... Uh, and we read this. When he entered the temple area, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching and said, by what authority do you do these things? And Jesus responded, and it's just five verse later that he says, but what do you think? He's speaking to these people. He's speaking to those who were the most promising, to those who were the most likely, to those who should have, right? They're the ones who in school was voted most likely to succeed, or most likely to be a priest, most likely to be a Pharisee, whatever it was. They were those guys. They had All the potential. They had all the knowledge. They had all the experience. If anyone should have responded with faith and joy when Jesus showed up on the scene, right? If anyone should have looked and said, Wow, he's here, it was them. And instead, they didn't. Uh, they, They did not respond with joy. They responded with anger. Instead of responding by accepting him, they rejected him. They looked for ways to kill him. They Did not want to believe in him. They avoided really paying attention to what he said. They tried to make him go away. And if it is addressed to them then, who is it addressed to now? And the the quick response would be, well, to the pastors and elders and the leaders, people like that. And I want to say no. Teenagers, this is calling you out. You know what? You have been raised every advantage. You have been raised with every advantage. You have been raised with all the religious training, all the knowledge, all the experience. You know how to do church. You could do church blindfolded. Does it mean you will be walking with Christ five years from now? So I was saved at a college and career class. I was still technically a teenager, but, you know, I was on that side of teenagers. I was, you know, Usually when we think of teenagers, we think of high schoolers, and I was beyond that. And this really gorgeous young lady coerced me to go against my will. <laughs> and the next week, and I got saved. And the next week, I came back, and I just kept going back. Really interesting thing there, because most of the people who went to this college and career class were from the same church. Right? There was a X number of guys, X number of gals. I don't remember the numbers. At some point, I learned, because I wasn't part of them, but I learned that they were leaving. After they went from the college and career class, they went out and partied with all the negative connotations that partying carries with it. And to them, it was... Uh, it was their, their chance to get out of the house without suspicion, I guess, because they still mostly lived at home. And and uh, it was their opportunity to go out and party afterwards and, and go drinking and, and whatever else else they did. Now, they were the ones with all the training. They were the ones with all the knowledge. They were the ones with the experience. They were the ones who had made all the professions aside from, I mean, I'm sure they all had made their profession, and maybe they're all walking with Christ now. I don't know. All I know is that the tax collector and sinner, (laughs) right, he took it seriously. To whatever extent. I'm not saying I walked around in St. Stephen all of a sudden, right, but but they had everything. They were the ones who showed all the promise. They were the ones who ha- you would have normally said, they're the ones who are going to succeed. And then what were they living? Teenagers. You teenagers who have been raised in this church or in church, it doesn't have to be this church. You've been raised in church. You know all these things. You've got the expectations, but you know, it's so easy for you to come to church because your family comes to church. And because it's really hard, not it's very unpopular at home if you say, No, I don't want to go today, (laughs) right? Uh, be warned. This parable's for you. This parable is for you. The ones who come to Christ, the ones who come to Christ later rarely have that problem of of I shouldn't say rarely, I mean I want to tell you something. Church uh, Christianity is, is not a second-generation thing. There is no one who is saved because their parents were Christian. There is no one who is saved because their parents took them to church, which doesn't mean people don't get saved because their parents are Christian or because their parents bring them to church. Bringing church to church is a really good thing, right? Says the pastor. <laughs> but merely those actions do not save you. You must personally trust Jesus Christ. Having grown up in a religious environment, knowing the scriptures, uh, what that does is it means you fit the pattern of these Pharisees and scribes. You want to be careful. It is easy for you to put off actually making that decision for Christ because it looks like you already have and all the pressure is off you. And you can go on just going through the motions and life is just fine for you. Sometimes it's easier for sinners to come to Christ than for religious people just that complicated. Okay, let's move on to the second parable and see who I get to blast this time. Okay, verses 33 through 44, those who thought it was their kingdom. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and he leased it to the vine growers and went on a journey. And when the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his fruit. And the vine growers took his slaves and beat one, killed another, stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they did the same things to them. But afterwards, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. When the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take possession of his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? And they said to him, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end and lease the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the fruit in the proper seasons. Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the Scriptures the stone that which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This came about from the Lord, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. It would be taken from you and given to someone else those who thought it was their kingdom, right? The vine growers that the king leased it to here in this story are the chief priests and elders, the very people he's talking to. And they don't miss that, by the way. They understand exactly what he's saying. The vineyard then would be the people of Israel or the people of God that have been entrusted to them. God left them to tend the vineyard, which was supposed to be fruitful. And they forgot they were stewards, and thought as if they were owners. They forgot that they were entrusted with what was actually owned by someone else. And he says, "I, I sent you, I sent you prophets. I sent you, or he says, I sent people to collect the, the thing. You know, God sent prophets. I, I made a list. I don't want to read them all just because of time, but I'll refer to them. Uh, in 1 Kings 18:13." Elijah. During the time of Elijah, Elijah is not the prophet I'm talking about. But there was, there was a Elijah went. He was, he was basically hidden from King Ahab for a year and a half, three and a half years, three and a half years while it did not rain because Elijah said it's not going to rain except by my word. And then he went off, and they didn't pay any attention to him because it hadn't happened yet. But after three and a half years, it hadn't rained, and they're looking everywhere for him. And Elijah comes down. And he's going to find King Ahab. And it's going to be a cool story that we're not going to go into now. You can read in 1 Kings 18 if you'd like. But uh, Elijah comes up and he meets a servant of God named Obadiah, who the king has got looking out, has the king sent out to look for water. And as he's looking, Elijah says, Go tell Ahab I'm coming. The guy says, No, don't you know that that if I go to tell King Ahab uh, that you're here, you're going to go disappear again? And what's going to happen to me? Don't you, he says, don't you know I'm the guy who, when, when Jezebel was killing the Lord's prophets that I hid two hundred hundred of them in groups of 50 in caves? The implication is that Jezebel eventually found them and killed them because the story's out. A hundred prophets of God killed. hundred people God sent to call, call the people back to faithfulness to do what they're supposed to do. That's the story of Jezebel. A story of a guy named Micaiah. This, this is a fun one. Uh, I'm just going to read a little bit. Micaiah is a prophet, actually with the same king, uh, in, the, in the same book. 1 kings, tw- kings chapter 22. Uh, the, the, the king of Jerusalem has gone to go to war with the king of, of Israel. Right, They're, they're two, different, two different kings, king of Judea, king of Israel. And, and he says, well, let's get a prophet to, for, to, to prophesy. And, Do you have a prophet of the Lord here? He says, I had lots of prophets there, but no prophets not prophets of the Lord. He says, well, there's Micaiah, but I don't like him. Why don't you like him? He never says anything good about me. <laughs> I love that. It's like, go Micaiah. You know, you're my hero. 1 Kings 22, verse 8. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is still one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, meaning Yahweh, but I hate him because he does not prophesy anything good regarding me, but only bad. He is Micaiah, the son of Imla. But Jehoshaphat said, may the king not say so. so they call him, they bring him out. He makes his prophecy and says, <laughs> he did prophesy something bad. He says, you're going to go die. He says, you're going to die on this. And one of the other prophets comes in and, and tries to talk smack to him. Then the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, This is what the king says. Put this man in prison and feed him enough bread and water to survive until I return safely. But Micaiah said, If you actually return safely, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Listen to all you people. Uh, Listen to me, all you people. And by the way, I don't know what the final story of Micaiah was. This is the last we read. But Micaiah was sent into prison, right? Some of them they rejected. Some of them they killed. We go on to the story of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, uh, in chapter 37 of Jeremiah, he's put into prison. In chapter 38, he's thrown into a cistern and sinks into his knees in the mud of the cistern until he is pulled out. Amos, I love the story of Amos, (laughs) I love the way Chuck Swindoll tells the story of Amos because Amos is a prophet from Judea and he goes up to Jerusalem, or not up to Jerusalem, up to, up to Israel. Israel's north uh, and, and, and Judea is south. Israel is, is what later becomes known as Samaria, right? And, and he goes up there and, and he, he's prophesying against the things they're doing and they tell him, would you just stop it? Uh, and and uh, so Amos chapter 7, let's see, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. Before Jonah. Okay, Amos chapter 7, verses 12 to 13. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee to the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and do your prophesying there. But do not prophesy at Bethel any longer, for it is the sanctuary of the king and the royal place presence. They say, go somewhere else. And it's funny because uh, the way Chuck doll says, they say, get out of here, you fig picker. <laughs> and I love that line. I mean, he tells them, I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet. I'm a shepherd and I tend fig trees. And, and, and so he's a fig picker. And, and they say, go back down there and do your fig picking. Leave us alone. But they didn't want him. He's a prophet of God. He's telling them the truth and they send him away. Uh, we have this summary of prophets uh, of people too good for this world. In Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11 verses 36 through 38. If you're not familiar with Hebrews chapter 11, it is called the Heroes of the Faith Hall of Fame, and it's been it lists person after person after person. i started to say man after man, but they aren't all men. Uh, it, it mentions uh, Rahab, for instance, um, and. Uh, we have this summary in verses 36 through 38 where he's getting to the end. He says, and others experience mocking and flogging, and further chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. People of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts, on mountains, and sheltering in caves and holes in the ground. He describes them being arrested and punished and killed. These people who are the ones that God sent out. The landowner sent out people to his vineyard and they were rejected again and again and again. And who was it that rejected them? But the leaders of Israel. The kings and the chief priests and the elders are the ones who led the rejection of these people, who led led in their being persecuted and punished and chased and killed and beaten and run off. They rejected and killed the messengers he sent. They replaced his will with their will. See, and they still were religious, right? Isn't that a wonderful word? Religious? They still were religious. They still claimed to be representing the vineyard owner, but they had replaced his will with their own, his words with their own, his teaching with their own. They replaced his word with their dreams. Jeremiah says, let the man who has dreams Uh, tell his dreams, but let him who has the word of God proclaim the word of God. What has the wheat to do with the chaff? God's word is wheat. Their word is chaff. It's a dream. It sounds good. It looks like something, and it's nothing. They replaced his truth with his lie, and they acted like his kingdom was theirs. And now he sends his son to remind them who he is. And what will they do with this son? And this story is told two or three days before Jesus is arrested. This parable clearly tells us they'll kill his son, verses 38 and 39. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take possession of his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Right? He's telling them exactly what's going to happen to the the son. And then it tells us that because these who are supposed to honor the landowner rejected him, they will be ser- he will be served by others. He's going to reject them, and he will be served by others. So who are the equivalent of these tenants today? And, and, and I have to say, yeah, I think we're talking about pastors and elders and church leaders who can say, this is my kingdom. I'm going to make this about me. I'm going to make this serve me. I'm going to make this do what I want according to my will." People who have been entrusted with responsibility. People who have been entrusted with privilege. People who, if they're not careful, can let the t- tend the vineyard for their own profit instead of the honor, uh, owners. Little, little piece of trivia, did you know that becoming a pastor is the easiest way in America to become the CEO of a corporation? <laughs> <laughs> I I remember this saying from when I was a kid, big fish, little pond. (laughs) It's easy to forget who we serve. It's easy to forget that we serve. It's easy to start thinking we are to be served. And, And this is not an outpost of some man's kingdom. This is an outpost of God's kingdom. And we need to remember that. And, and because we are a church where, where we are with elected officers, right, uh, we need to keep tabs on that. But be careful, elders, church leaders, Pastor John. <laughs> right. okay. Now, 22, 1 to 10 is maybe the scariest because it's people who simply had other priorities. Right? They, they served God honest, they knew him. They talked about him. They went to sa- uh, synagogue. They, they did all those things. They served him. You could, you could ask him. You could they tell you. They'd gladly talk about him. But when push came to shove, they had other priorities. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying the kingdom of heaven is like a king who held a wedding feast for his son and he sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast and they were unwilling to come again he sent other slaves saying tell those who have been invited behold I prepared my dinner my oxen my fattened cattle are all butchered and everything is ready come to the wedding feast but they paid no attention and went their separate ways one to his own farm another to his business and the breast seized his slaves and treated them abusively and then killed them now the king was angry, he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy, so go to the main roads and invite whomever you find there to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out to the streets and gathered together, all whom they found, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. The people with other priorities. These people had received their invitations long ago. Right? They, he's not just sending out invitations now. He's letting them know that those invitations, now is the time. Sent you those invitations long ago, now is the time. They all knew they had an invitation, and they thought they were special because they had an invitation, right? I'm God. We're God's people. We're God's people. We have the prophets. We have all these things. And again, on the surface, it's, it's, this is a, a lesson between Jesus and the Jews who reject him, but there's more to it than that. They all thought it was because they all thought that invitation was something they treasured, but your treasure is where your heart is, right? And when the time came, it turned out they had other priorities. Their hearts were somewhere else. And it's easy when push doesn't come to shove to say, oh, yeah, that's valuable to me. And then when it comes down to it, to say, yeah, it's not as valuable as I thought it was. They found out it just wasn't important. One guy says, you know, I'm, I'm busy at the farm today. It's, it's a bad time. I'm not coming. The other guy says, you know, they need me at the shop. I, I got to be there. And, and, and as long as the king's feast was far off and intangible, as long as it was out there, it was so important to them. But when it came down close, they found out these other things were just more important to them. And that was not. So the king destroyed those people. He set the cities on fire. He went out to invite a whole bunch of nobodies. <laughs> right? Here we are. Prophetically, this is a message of the church age. God is going to set aside, God has set aside for a time the people of Israel till this time of the Gentiles is, is finished. And He's create He creates this thing we call the church, which is against which the gates of hell will not prevail, right? Uh, he he has done that. The church was born about forty days after this after Jesus told this parable. It was pretty close. But there is a message not just for those people back then. There is a message for us now. And that is, it is easy to say the right things because you know it's the right thing to say and not give an honest look at your heart. And does my heart say the same thing my mouth is saying? Are your values really what they are? Does your reality actually match your words? Many people live their Christianity as if it's all they need to know is the answers to a test. And so long as I can say the right words at the right time, I will get a passing grade. And because I said a prayer in 1977, which I did, somebody go on. <laughs> right, because I did that. I mean, and I could talk about I'm saved because I said a prayer in 1977. I hope. I really hope. In fact, I'd be crushed if someone says, "You know, I'm glad you said that prayer because otherwise, I don't think you're, you're there." <laughs> yeah. I hope my life proves that prayer. Right? I hope. I hope I'm. I because I, I've met people who you would never guess to be a Christian. You say, "Oh yeah, I'm a Christian." Why? Well, I said a prayer back in and they'll go to your, years farther back than 1977 or closer. Few and fewer people can go beyond 1977. Funny how that works. But uh, what they've got is because you don't see it in their lives. You go, I'm not, I can't say that person is not saved because saved people sometimes don't live the way they're supposed to. But do not put any assurance in a prayer you pay, pay, prayed decades ago when your life has not reflected it since. You know the answers to a test. You know the, an- the word that's supposed to answer. But you don't answer this question with a word. You answer this question with your life. You live the answer to this question. Have you trusted Jesus? Do you trust Jesus? I know the right words. I'll be okay. But this test is not on paper. Knowing the right answer means nothing if your life does not bear those words out. These people, when it came down to it, their priorities were different. They said the right words, but they did not lodge in their hearts. And somehow they thought they were okay because they had them up here. As believers, we gladly exclaim, yay, I'm invited to the feast. Be more than invited. Be ready to go. Not only be ready to go, be ready to drop things to go. <laughs> right? it's, like, it's like the really good thing you want to do, you will drop what you're doing. right? If you're in the shower, get dressed first. <laughs> you know. Be ready to drop what you're doing and go to the feast. Make sure Jesus really is your priority. And by the way, this one's for all of us. This one isn't for the teens. I mean, it is for the teens, but it's not just for the teens. This one is for the elders and, and pastors, but it's not just. This one is for all of us. Jesus is calling you, and he is expecting you to answer uh, because you look like you're ready to answer. You know, you know another thing that happened just before this? I think it happened the day before as I read this. I'm not really sure. It's Jesus cursed a fig tree. You know why he cursed the fig tree? Because it looked like it was going to bear fruit, but it wasn't bearing fruit. Interesting thing to happen just before these three parables. You almost think there's a theme with this. Make sure that just, you, make sure you are more than, than voted most likely. Right? Make sure you are what you claim to be. Make sure you haven't been making empty boasts when you talk about Christ. Uh, let your heart be ready for Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I pray that what we see on the surface is what you see underneath. That man looks on the outward appearance, but you look on the heart. And I ask that as you look at our hearts, you see yourself reflected there. That you see a love for you and a desire for you. And Lord, as you look at us, if you find any of our hearts that do not match what we talk about on the outside, that you would touch those hearts in such a way that we would change, that we would repent and turn to you in truth. I pray in Jesus' name.